Innovation in education is always a work in progress. Welcome to Educational Innovations, a podcast from eSchool News exploring transformations in education. We'll discuss how education leaders are responding to COVID-19, the future of schools, and the silver linings from the disruption of hybrid and remote learning. This episode of Getting There is brought to you by Microsoft. Microsoft and the Open Data Institute this month announced the launch of an Education Open Data Challenge to shine light on the relationship between broadband access and K-12 education outcomes. In the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic, the Education Open Data Challenge will help educators and research organizations better understand the potential long-term impact the ongoing disruption to traditional learning will have on the world's most vulnerable learners. Microsoft and the ODI are encouraging teams that wish to participate in the challenge to help generate innovative solutions to close the digital divide in K-12 education. Go to theodi.org to learn more. Okay, hello, and welcome to eSchool News Conversations with School District Executives and how they are responding to the COVID-19 pandemic, and more importantly, looking forward to what sort of technologies they see happening and staying uh, in the future. My name is Kevin Hogan. I am editor-at-large for eSchool News, and with me today is Randy Rogers. Randy is the uh, tech director for Judson ISD in Texas. Randy, welcome to the show. Thank you, sir. Good to be here, Kevin. Now, where does this podcast find you exactly? Where does it find me? Yeah. Uh, currently sitting at home because it's Thanksgiving break and we're not traveling or anything. So, And you're in New Braunfels, Texas, right? I am in New Braunfels, yes, sir. Uh, so give, give us where that is in the state exactly. Uh, between Austin and San Antonio. All right. and It's where all the tourists come every summer to float on our river and hang out. Very nice. When we were allowed to travel. Yes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so uh, you're, you're on... Thanksgiving break now. T- tell us a little bit about uh, how your fall's been. I'm sure it's been real laid back. Doing, yeah. Doing a lot of hobbies. Yeah, it really, um, a lot of leisure time, um, <laughs> a lot of reading. Yeah. No, it's it's been, uh, it's been, I would say, uh, interesting. It's been definitely pretty much nonstop putting out fires and, and trying to, you know, just make everything work. We, we, we started this school year a brand new uh, online platform, learning management system. With, didn't adopt it until July, which is right when I started in that school district, incidentally. Oh, wow. And so it was really jumping in feet first and um, trying to get people trained and trying to just get them competent enough that they felt like comfortable using the platform uh, with their students because we, we started the year uh, completely online. Mm. At any point, did you bring kids back in? Did you, did you? We do. We have kids currently, and you know, it's like any other district. You know, sometimes, well, they have to sometimes, you know, go back and go into quarantine or things like that, based on you know things that happen within their families or, or whatever. Um, but uh, we do have a, a pretty good percentage of our students back. I don't know if if it's the majority. I think it depends on the campus. I've been on some campuses where it's, you know, very definitely the minority of students are back and other campuses where there's 14 or 15 students in a classroom and in elementary school. So 
they've got a, a significant portion there. Got it. Now, was uh, Judson uh, a one-to-one district before all this started? Oh, no, definitely not. No, nor was my previous district uh, that I came from, which was Seguin. I would say, I would say we're right about there now, because I think one of the things that t- school districts have experienced across the country, probably across the world, is you know as we try to adopt all these devices in an emergency-type situation, uh, where we've kind of overwhelmed the suppliers. Yep. And so it took a couple of months after school started before we really started getting the last shipments uh, of devices in. But we're, I think we're pretty close to it at this point. Okay. All right. And so we'll talk a little bit about that. You know, I, I kind of break this down into BP, DP, and AP before, uh-huh. during, and after the, the pandemic. And maybe we don't even need to talk too much about BP anymore because you know, we've been there, done that. But as we're in the midst of this, do you see any advantages coming out of it? For instance, maybe you wouldn't have been able to uh, make the district one-to-one if that's what you wanted to do when, when you first came in. Uh, talk a little bit about some of those kind of intangibles that you're discovering. I think there are some some positives to it. Um, I reached out even to my teachers and asked for some positive experiences that they've had as a result of this. And besides the obvious, you know that now we have devices in the hands of all the kids. And, and for some of us in the, in the technology side of education, we've really wanted that for, for years and maybe, you know, struggled against budgets and things like that. That's an obvious one. But some of the less obvious ones are things like, you know, I had one teacher tell me that her team communicates better and shares ideas and works together better than they ever have hmm. as they're, you know, hey, I've got this great idea, and they'll share it online through the LMS and things like that. Another teacher, um, I interviewed her, and she said she was a music teacher, and she said at the beginning of this all, she was completely technology uh, fearful, you know, kind of had a phobia of it and and definitely had no confidence level in it. And now at this point in the year, um, one of the things I've done at, at our campuses is I've had, had, had uh, campus leaders identify teachers that were really strong and I've given them a little more access in terms of administrating and things like that, and also a little extra training uh, and making them sort of campus admins in our LMS. And she is one of those now. And she just said, you know, a few months ago, she would have never thought, she would have never picked, pictured herself like that. Yeah. Um, I think it's also, there's some kids that truly, you know, we, we have kids that struggle in a face-to-face setting and actually thrive in an online setting, um, you get a lot more out of some of those kids. Now, I'm, I'm not naive. I know we have kids that socially, it's significant. They miss their friends. That's the most, po- school is the most positive part of their day. Yeah. You know, based on their family situations and, and circumstances. And, and you, know, my, you know, our hearts just go out to those kids and we can't wait to get those, you know, back because, you know, one of the best things about, you know, working in education is just the fact that we, we get to love on these kids. And, yep. And uh, and provide a provide positive reinforcement and and support you know as as they're dealing with all that stuff from home. So we do have kids that that you know that certainly that concerns us. But there are definitely some benefits. And and another benefit is if you just look back. I know we're not talking about the before, but I think we did get sort of caught unprepared. Um, and for some of us again that have been working in ed tech for a long time, you know we've been that's kind of our goal is to get us to get our teachers and students completely comfortable and competent and 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 
confident about using technology. Right. And I think what we found is a lot of people that have maybe kind of, eh, it's sort of important, you know, but we got other things to do. You know, we got test scores to worry about and whatever. And I'm not saying that's not important. Obviously it is. Um, but I think those kind of skills came to the forefront. And so we've got teachers that are much more skilled. We've got online testing coming up in the state of Texas in 2023. And, you know, there is research out there that shows that just the technology skills, just the basic technology skills have to be really in place. Uh, and that does impact test scores. Right. And, and so this is going to, you know, we're going to have, I think, kids that and teachers that are much more technology savvy and comfortable and confident, even if they don't have a lot of it in their homes previously, now, now they're going to have that opportunity and that's going to help. Yeah, I mean, there were many years, I mean, and I neglected to mention that you're instrumental uh, in a number of organizations, including TCEA, which is where I'd, I'd usually see you in person in Ballroom B and the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the Austin Civic Center. But there used to be many sessions at those events that was basic professional development on how to use technology. And maybe we're past that now? You know, I one would certainly hope so. I mean, you know... I think we've we've had to drag a few people kicking and screaming. Yeah. But but for the most part, the majority of teachers that I've worked with have really I guess even exceeded my hopes and expectations in terms of, you know, how quickly they're learning a lot of this stuff and how they've kept you know, I guess uh, had the grit to really develop these skills and have a positive attitude about it. And in a lot of cases, I mean, you know, I'll have virtual meetings, you know, with teachers to kind of troubleshoot and help, you know, how do you do this and how do you do that? And one of the things that's been really exciting is watching just how some of them get in there. And when I'm not sure of an answer, somebody else will chime in. One of the teachers will chime in and say, well, I already figured that out. It's, you know. Yeah. So I think that their their skill level is going to be dramatically, you know, they're not going to be out there writing, you know, uh, code. Uh, code, yeah, <laughs> necessarily. But they, they're just, as far as just the basics and, and how to integrate technology into their instruction uh, and things like that, I, I think that is definitely going to be a plus. That's def- right. And definitely everyone's gotten over, whether they like it or not, their, their shyness when it comes to their, their video cam, right? <laughs> right. Exactly. <laughs> and I've noticed that that dynamic is interesting, too. In some of the other districts I've spoken to, folks have talked about how they've had the best school board meetings they've ever had online because it removes some of that power dynamic maybe or maybe some of the in-person conversations also kids with guidance counselors and even some mental health experts have said that that dynamic is something there's like a a different sort of intimacy that levels the playing field between say a student and a teacher or even a parent and a teacher sure Talk a little bit about how your experiences with engaging your whole new crew of assistant teachers, the parents at home. Well, that's been interesting because we, you know, we've done uh, one of the things that we've done in Judson is we started an online parent academy, and really all it is is a series of webinars that are open to the community, and uh, especially early in the semester, we would have two hundred plus parents tuning into these sessions, mm-hmm. and just covering a wide range of topics, everything from how to set up the house, you know, the learning environment so that students uh, can more effectively focus on their homework and have all the resources they need right at the hand and, and without the distractions and things like that, to, you know, tours of the learning management system, to 
um, resources for English language learners or resources for special needs students to help them, sur- you know, not only survive it, but thrive, Yeah, hopefully in the uh, online learning environment and things like that. So we've done that. You know, we've had, I've had some face-to-face with parents where they just needed a little extra tech support and really actually enjoyed that. And then, because then I really get feedback about what it's like, you know, what they're doing, uh, what they're experiencing with their children as they try to do their online learning. Uh, because, you know, it's one thing to get to hear it from the teacher or, or principal or something like that. But when I actually, the parents are sitting down next to the kid trying to do their homework and they're struggling with this or had, having trouble with that, it, it, that's been very helpful, actually. Had, had a couple of those meetings last week. So, yeah, we, I think that we've done a pretty good job. Uh, we we can always do better. It's hard to reach everyone, mm-hmm. but that those are some of the things we've tried. Two new phrases um, amongst many this year are synchronous versus asynchronous mm-hmm. learning. Talk a little bit about the uh, the asynchronous side. Now, I'll assume the spring was was chaotic. Any efforts here in the fall to maybe do some new course design uh, that focuses on the the asynchronous aspects of uh, remote learning? Um, I think there's a, a slowly a shift now, we'll say this, in in Judson, the initial focus for the first quarter of the semester was, uh, of the school year, was on synchronous learning. Um, every, basically, every kid in every class has the opportunity to do a live interaction with the teacher every day. Mm-hmm. I think as they are moving back where we've got more kids in the classroom, we're having some classes that are shifting over to a little more of the asynchronous where the teachers will put the, you know, maybe a, a, an instructional video or things like that online for the kids to watch. And, and also it sort of goes along with one of the things that big transitions that, that I'm really focused on right now is how we really move from completely online and synchronous to a more of a blended mm. classroom uh, we have all this technology and so on, and we have the opportunity to really take advantage of it in a blended learning environment. But that will involve a lot more asynchronous, you know, where students are working in a center, you know, maybe watching an instructional video or maybe they're doing a flipped lesson. You know, they've got to go while they're at home, they'll watch a, an instructional video about plate tectonics or whatever before they do the activity in class. So I, I think it'll have a an emerging bigger role Mm-hmm. Um, but right now, um, you know, to start the year, it was not a, a big player in our school district, um, with the exception of the fact that they do offer, you know, teachers record a lot of their live sessions and things like that. And students can go back and view them, you know, at their own time, uh, which is that's helpful. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Well, let's talk a little bit about uh, AP after the pandemic. You know, this is the first conversation I've been having uh, with a tech director where we had the news about the potential of there being a vaccine, which is, which is really improved <laughs> my mood. I'm sure it's yeah, improved your mood here. too, right? Uh, and we can actually maybe look to next fall, even, uh, I don't want to get carried away with myself and talk about the spring, but back to school next fall, you know, there's a good chance of it being back to whatever normal is. Now in, in Judson, do you see these technologies just going away or, have these things that you've implemented now become kind of standard state for teaching your kids? I I hope they don't go away. I mean, that's been a concern of some of ours, myself 
definitely that's been a concern because I've heard people say, well, once the kids are back, we won't have to, you know, be using like our LMS, for instance. Yeah. And, you know, I, I'm quick to correct them and say, look, we were caught completely unprepared in March. Um, there were, you know, in my former school district, there were probably, if I'm guessing, three or four percent, maybe five percent um, of teachers that had some sort of online presence that they could quickly jump into and, you know, without batting an eye, just take it online. I don't think we can. I think this has exposed us to the fact that that we can't we can't let that happen again. We have to maintain that presence. And again, that's where I go to like blended learning. I think you you still have your online, your virtual classroom. Yep. But it's f- to be used in partnership with the face-to-face synchronous stuff. It can be used, it can be more student-driven where they can go in there and find result or find, you know, resources and projects and assignments and work at them a little more at their own pace than when the teacher's got to lead the instruction for other lessons. And I, I don't know if it'll be as hmm, robust in terms of the amount of content that teachers put on there. Yeah. But the, the good thing is they've already, by the end of the year, they will have such a nice library of content. Yeah. Already online and ready to go. And as long as they'll just keep, you know, managing that and utilizing that as, as needed. And I, what you don't want to see is, you know, just a, a live classroom with the whole classroom sitting in the room on their computers doing their online lessons. <laughs> right, right. Why, and, you know, I've seen that before. I'm not in Judson, but I've seen that before in in classrooms I've been in. And I, I don't, you know, I think that's a concern. But I definitely we've got to we've got to maintain that presence. We've got to get better at integrating it seamlessly into our face-to-face instruction which has been the case for, I don't know, however many years. I mean, I've been working on this side of things for closing in on 20 years. And certainly during that time, that's kind of been the big theme anyway. Yeah. And, and we've got that opportunity now. The other thing districts are going to have to, I think a lot of districts have jumped into the uh, one-to-one market and that's great, but they don't. they had to do it in such an emergency setting that I don't know that they've got the, replacement schedule plan, sure. you know, all outlined out and budgeted out. And that's certainly something that's got to be accounted for down the line, or we lose this opportunity, I think. Mm-hmm. So I, I don't know. Did I answer your question okay? Yeah, absolutely. Now you A little earlier, you were uh, talking about assessment. That seems to be just something else that um, has completely ground to a halt in a, in a lot of ways. You know, and over the years, we've always worried about teachers teaching to the test and worrying about their state assessments to come spring. And well, guess what? We didn't have them. (laughs) And who knows if we're going to have them again next year. Get a little big picture for me on your particular perspective on assessment and how it may change uh, as a result of this. uh, Well, first off, I think think the reality is nationwide, we're going to take a big hit in terms of we're going to have kids who are not at perhaps the same level that they would have been in a face-to-face setting. I think that's just, you know, that that may sound pessimistic, but I think it's also just realistic. Yeah. I think that states are going to have to adjust to that and adjust their expectations probably for a couple of years as we play a little catch-up. Yep. I think last spring was the big 
hit too, because there were three months basically where a lot of schools just were trying not to lose ground. Yeah. They weren't trying to make, you know, they, they felt like they weren't equipped to make progress. Well, this year we're expected to make progress, right? Yep. And so the standards are different, but you know, I think the reality is it's going to be a struggle because we do have that, A, that lapse from last year and B, it's just, again, while I think that online learning for some can be super effective, I think for some kids, it, it it's a struggle. They don't have the parental support at home, you know, the family structure set up to, to help them be as successful as possible. I, I met a dad the other day and he talked about, you know, he gets his grade notifications when his daughter gets a grade below an 80 and it's not because he, he wants to, you know, uh, let her have it. It's because he wants to say, all right, well, let's go back and figure out what we didn't know about what we didn't understand about this. And that's been my philosophy with my kids over the years too. Sure. Um, but not every kid has that, yeah. you know? And so that's the, when they really rely on the teacher and so on. So I think it, anybody would be insincere if they said that we, we aren't going to have some catching up to do. And hopefully the States know that. I mean, I would love to say I just have such great faith in the legislature just to do the right thing with regard to that. Um, but, you know, we'll see. I mean, yeah. I, I, it doesn't mean you just, oh, well, we don't measure it anymore. Yeah. But maybe just your, again, your standards, your expectations for a year or two as we do a little catching up and a little remediation and things like that. I, I think that's kind of the human thing to do. So hopefully mm -hmm. th that's the way we're approached. But I've also all, always been a big fan of um, – a big believer that all these assessments, you know, I, I read somebody today tweeted, they said, uh, you know, assessments should be diagnostic and not punitive, mm -hmm. and, which is of course what they are. They're punitive. I mean, that's at least in the state of Texas, they're, yeah. they're not designed, you know, at the state level to say, well, here's what we need to work on with your school as much as, you know, you're in trouble. We're going to come manage you or whatever. Right. So hopefully, you know, that, if a, with a little pressure off, we can use these more for their diagnostic purpose and, and really try to, to find out what kids know and don't know and how we can help get them there instead of just worrying about what great letter grade our schools have and things like that. Well, right. I mean, maybe if if the infrastructure is now in place, whether we like it or not, and the, the professional development piece uh, has been taken care of, again, whether we like it or not, but they're both there. I mean, what do you think about the potential for you know, finally, the potential for, say, a digital portfolio uh, assessment of a student, you know, something more holistic than just, you know, the, the data points that are in, in a bubble test. Well, you know, Kevin, I love that idea. And I remember, who was it? Rhode Island did it several years ago. I think it was Rhode Island. I may be getting my states wrong. They're small enough, they're small enough to be able to do it. Yeah. And, <laughs> and but, you know, I, I think you have a lot of factors at play here. One is... Um, the testing lobby is very strong to habit just to, you know, you know, it, it, however bad or good they may be. And I certainly have my feelings about that. The testing as it's done just with Scantron bubble sheets and things like that is certainly convenient as well. Yep. And there's a lot more. I love alternative assessments like portfolios. I love that concept um, I, you know, I think really one of the big solutions would be to, I mean, to a lot of this would be to let school districts have more say over how they do, how they assess their kids. Yeah. But 
as long as tax dollars are involved and stuff like that, and you know, that's unfortunately not our reality. Right. And I just don't see here in the state of Texas, while I would certainly always, I would personally always lobby for it and push for it. And uh, I, I don't know that that's anytime soon going to happen because it, we are a big state, very populous. The, the logistics of it would be crazy big. Yeah. So I, great idea. Um, <laughs> I would love it. But yeah, I just don't know. I don't know how we make that happen. I, w- I wish I did. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe, maybe as, as we continue through this, it'll become more apparent uh, that it's, that you're able to do it, even as like a supplemental sort of assessment. Yeah. And um, then it become more, more mainstream. Well, it's, it, am I recall, like I said, I may be getting the state wrong, but yeah. I, I want to say that, it, you know, what I had read years ago was that they, I think they had alternatives. Like you could either do the portfolio or you could do some type of testing or whatever. And I think, you know, a com- combination is the way to do it. But again, you're you're probably going to have to rely on the state, excuse me, on the local districts and things to assess their own portfolios. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, maybe the, the – because maybe the state's role is simply to give them guidance, you know, and here's exactly what a student needs to have in a portfolio uh, to demonstrate their learning and the types of products and things like that. Uh, here's how you score it. Or, you know, here's how you um, document it. I, you know, we don't, funny, we don't have, you don't have to put a number with everything. And I think mostly with this, you're just documenting learning. And, and but here's how you uh, actually assess it and demonstrate that it shows this, this was learned and this was learned and this was not and so on. But I, maybe that's, you know, the, the solution is you just let the school districts do the evaluating of those. But again, a lot of personnel, a lot of time, you know, and you, yeah, I mean, how to how to standardize it, right? I mean, and yeah. s- standardize and scale is is an issue that, I mean, we're seeing give real struggles to what we dealt with in the spring. I mean, tool wise, it's not it's not that complicated. I mean, I've I've known, uh, you know, friends who, well, I believe you know my friend Scott Floyd, absolutely, and Scott and his district in White Oak, Texas. You know, they've been doing portfolios for years using just. Um, you know, a blogging platform and, yep. you know, you can, you post artifacts up in terms of pictures and, 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 uh, documents and things like that. And you tag them with the subjects and the units and things like that. And it's not like it's complicated and you have to develop a whole big system or anything like that. There's a lot of ways to do this effectively. Yeah. So we spoke, um, a lot about some of these technologies that you, uh, hope to see after the pandemic. Let me, let me flip the coin on you a right now and ask yes. you what what are the things that you will not miss <laughs> besides all that but from a from a technology perspective and and managing a district what are the things that you can't wait to see go back to normal hmm that's a good question well i i do spend a, a lot of my time uh, an inordinate amount of time right now just troubleshooting and part of that is honestly it's is a result of the really rushed adoption uh, that we undertook. Yeah. I think I think long-term, you know, it's worth it in terms of having the quality LMS that we've got. But um, it was, we, you know, we shifted from what we used in the spring in an emergency setting to a whole new LMS right before school started. We, we threw in some other things too. We started a new, we adopted a new SIS at the same time. Okay. Wow. So, yeah. <laughs> and uh, so... It, 
it's it's been and not just cis i mean it's the business side of things and all that i mean it's been it's been quite the challenge we, yeah. we definitely um set the bar high for ourselves but uh, i think even now i'm watch i'm seeing a, a reduction in the numbers of you know some of the common questions and problems that teachers were were having at the beginning of the year right they're getting how to, they're understanding better how to troubleshoot these things themselves and things like that and the only reason i say i mean i don't mind helping people i i i love i you know i i live to serve them that's why i'm doing do what i do um but i think sometimes when you have the little hiccups here and problems here and things like that and you got in the learning curve it keeps you from a lot of the um, advancement in terms of the just the type of instruction and classroom activities that you're doing. Right. Because you, you're not focused on that as much as you're just focused on getting it to work. Right. And I think we're getting past that point, and I'm seeing some really cool things that teachers are doing, and, and I think that will continue to grow going forward. Um, but certainly that troubleshooting side of things. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the biggest is – yeah, just getting where we're more competent with it. It's work. It's more reliable. And 90% of the errors probably that we're encountering are just inexperience. And yeah. not just on the part of the teachers, on my part, on the other tech administrators and their part. And I'm the instructional tech director, so I'm, I am in charge of the how-to and yep. getting it to work and things like that. But then on the other side, you've got the guy that runs the SIS and, and setting up all the back-end stuff. And he... You know, we're both inexperienced with it, and so we've been, we've learned pretty fast and become pretty ex, you know, a lot of expertise in a hurry. But I think in a in another six months, we're going to be total pros at this, and yep. and teachers will be teaching amazing, even better and better and better, and more enriching, engaging, powerful lessons, even in their online. Um, because they're going to be more focused on that and less focused on just how do I do this, right? Well, now, so let's leave with the glass half full. Next sure. next fall, uh, we're back to, quote, normal. Kids are in school every day, if they want to be. If, if someone can stay remote or come in twice a week because of whatever reasons they have to, they can. What are the pet projects that you would love to introduce that the pandemic has interrupted? Oh, pet projects. Well, I am... One of the things that I I think I, I think I was one of the reasons I think I was hired in Judson was to sort of move us forward in terms of uh, just general computer science like K through 12. Uh, we don't I don't think currently there's any real alignment in terms of the plan for what you're teaching in computer technology from kindergarten all the way through high school. Um, so I've got some other folks that are going to work with me on al- on alignment on that and really getting a plan in place. The other thing is just, um, it, it. I don't think it's been a big point of uh, focus at the elementary level. A lot of the computer science concepts, the coding and things like that. Uh, and that that's one of my goals is that the kids in Judson have, because they certainly have the ability and and uh, the talents to, to succeed at some, at some of this type of, you know, the computer science stuff, but have the opportunity starting at, at a very young age to do coding and robotics, makerspace type things, you know, particularly with the, the digital parts of that in, in terms of like microbit, yep. Arduino, Arduino, Lilypad, things of those natures, but get those in place, uh, strengthen 
you know, actually have a, a curriculum in place for the elementary school because currently, for, as far as tech apps, we we don't. But we've got people that are good people on board that that can help me make that happen. So that would be something. Middle school, we are similarly. We've got to do some addressing of. Uh, I would like to see us expanding our computer offerings, technology offerings for our students, where we've got, for example, digital media and and coding and robotics, maybe classes in the campuses and things like that. Yep. These are things that I was fortunate enough to, to be able to work with uh, folks in my previous district to get established and have been very successful. And uh, it, it has an impact too when you have kids, by the time they get to high school, and you've got these great CTE classes and computer science and, and you already have kids that have been exposed to it and are interested in it. And, uh, you know, it's one of those things I don't think every kid should, you know, be a Mark Zuckerberg, but I uh, certainly think that you give them the opportunity to be exposed to these things. And then if they do have a knack for it or they do have a, a love for it or an interest in it, you start building on that from an early age. I mean, yeah. you do that with, with other subjects. So, Well, they were all force-fed uh, these 21st century skills over the past nine months, right? Sure. Well, to a point, but, you know, they're not, you know, we're not doing a lot in terms of, I mean, it's it's more like basics. And I, I think, I'm, uh, you know, more of the advanced stuff, you yeah. know, having our, having our kids do these computational thinking and, and coding and types of activities. And I think it'll be, you know, we, we're going to, we've got some plans in place to create some lesson plans and some learning activities to share with through the teacher, their classroom teachers uh, in the spring. Yep. And those are going to be exciting, but then really expand on that um, come next year, uh, really offers, you know, more courses and more opportunities, you know, on a regular basis. It's not enough to do an hour of code in December. Mm -hmm. That's a fun little introduction. But then when the kid's really interested in it and he comes back in January and there's nothing there for them to do, you know, we've missed an opportunity. And I don't I don't want any of our kids to miss that opportunity. Got it. Well, I wish you the best of luck that next fall you can start those pet projects that uh, everyone will be back in the Thank classroom you. and that uh, the district will be rolling and we'll all be back to normal. And I can see you uh, at TCEA. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we can, uh, we can do this in person instead. Absolutely. So Randy, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Enjoy your break. You deserve it. And uh, thanks for coming on. Kevin, it's my pleasure, man. I miss, missed seeing you this year, so good to get to talk to you. Absolutely. And thanks to everybody for listening to eSchool News Conversations with tech directors and school districts around the country. I'm Kevin Hogan, and I hope you click in and find another episode soon. Once again, thanks to Microsoft, the sponsor of this episode and the creator of The Learning Passport, a project that started off as a partnership between UNICEF, Microsoft, and the University of Cambridge, and its departments, Cambridge University Press and Cambridge Assessment. The Learning Passport is designed to provide education for displaced and refugee children through a digital remote learning platform. It has now undergone rapid expansion to facilitate country-level curriculum for children and youth whose schools have been forced to close due to COVID-19. The platform will also provide key resources to teachers and educators.